Welcome to Bob's Last Marathon, where Lena Chow Kuhar shares her first-hand experiences and practical wisdom gained from caring for her husband, Bob, on their long, unmapped journey with Alzheimer's disease. Through her own insights, as well as those of other caregivers, advocates, and experts, Lena hopes to help you meet the challenges of Alzheimer's disease and give your loved ones the best quality of life possible. In today's episode, we welcome Dr. Sarah Manning-Peskin, Assistant Professor of Clinical Neurology at the University of Pennsylvania and author of A Molecule Away from Madness, Tales of the Hijacked Brain. Dr. Peskin's writing has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Boston Globe magazine. A lot of us are concerned about our risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, particularly if we've watched parents or siblings die of it. If we've lost partners to Alzheimer's disease, we might wonder whether our children are destined for the same course. Researchers have found that we're more likely to worry about having dementia than to actually develop it, and the gap is even more pronounced in people who've had a family member with dementia. So if we've watched our relative die from Alzheimer's disease, we tend to assume that we're destined for the same fate, even if we don't have any symptoms. When we think about our familial risk of Alzheimer's disease, we're in part considering whether there's something wrong with our DNA. We're asking whether the seeds of Alzheimer's disease were sown into our bodies years ago at the moment when we were conceived, and whether we have any power to change our fate as adults. We often think of genetics as a black and white indicator. So if you have a mutation, then you'll get a disease. But if your DNA is normal, you'll emerge scot-free. But when it comes to Alzheimer's disease, the story turns out to be more complicated. For the vast majority of people with the disease, we can't pinpoint a single genetic mutation as the cause of the symptoms. Instead, the condition is usually the result of complex genetic and environmental factors, some of which we still don't even understand. Most people with Alzheimer's disease carry mutations in some of the 70-odd risk genes. This is a group of genes that are associated with an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, but each of them alone isn't enough to cause symptoms 100% of the time. Environmental factors like education, diet, and head trauma also contribute to the risk of getting Alzheimer's disease, so genetics alone don't account for everything by any means. The most famous risk gene for Alzheimer's disease is called APOE. It was the first risk gene that scientists identified, and it's still the most strongly correlated with the disease. Each of us has two copies of the APOE gene, and each copy comes in one of a few different versions called APOE2, APOE3, and APOE4. APOE3 is the most common version of the gene. And people who carry two copies of the APOE2 version turn out to have a much lower risk of Alzheimer's disease. But people who carry one or two copies of the APOE4 version have a much higher risk of Alzheimer's disease. 
Researchers estimate that about 50% of people with Alzheimer's disease are ApoE4 carriers. And for people who report lots of family members having Alzheimer's disease that starts in their 60s, 70s, or 80s, we often wonder whether ApoE4 might be playing a role. Patients sometimes ask whether they should do genetic testing to find out if they're ApoE4 carriers. Some people even come to our clinic after finding out from 23andMe or another similar genetic testing company that they carry one or two copies of ApoE4. There's a couple things to think about when it comes to finding out your ApoE status. First, knowing if you carry ApoE4 won't tell you whether or not you're going to get Alzheimer's disease. We've seen many people in our research center who have two copies of ApoE4 but don't have any symptoms of the disease. And likewise, we know that half of people with Alzheimer's disease don't have any copies of ApoE4. In the end, knowing your ApoE status doesn't tell us much more about your genetic risk of Alzheimer's disease than what we can already glean from your family history. Second, it's important to keep in mind that we don't typically recommend any changes to family-building plans based on the result of ApoE testing. Even if you're an ApoE4 carrier, we don't recommend using reproductive technology to decrease the risk of passing it on. In short, outside of research endeavors, it's not usually clinically useful to find out your ApoE status. So when should you do genetic testing for Alzheimer's disease? We tend to suggest this in patients who have symptoms before age 65 and also have a strong family history of Alzheimer's disease. These are the people at the highest risk of carrying a mutation in one of the three genes that can single-handedly cause Alzheimer's disease. Less than 1% of people with the disease carry a mutation in one of these genes, so it's very uncommon even in people where the disease starts before age 65. But identifying these people can help families make decisions about genetic testing and management. If you're wondering if you're in this group, consider bringing it up with a neurologist and asking them whether you should see a genetic counselor. Genetic counselors often work closely with neurologists to help decide which genes could be useful to evaluate and also to help patients and their families cope with the prospect of receiving genetic information. While we don't have control over our genetic status, there's lifestyle changes that can significantly affect our risk of developing disease. A recent study found that 40% of the burden of Alzheimer's disease is attributable to modifiable risk factors like high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. Regardless of what's in your genes, one of the most effective things you can do to decrease your risk of Alzheimer's disease is exercise. The best outcomes come from doing at least 40 minutes of aerobic exercise three to four days a week or so. Diet-wise, the Mediterranean diet's been associated with the lowest risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, but limiting alcohol and not smoking have also shown a huge benefit. So ultimately, even though we often think of Alzheimer's disease as something that we're either destined for or not destined for, The reality is that we do have some control over whether or not we develop the disease, and if we do develop it, we have some control over how fast it progresses. Thank you for listening to Bob's Last Marathon. 
Transcripts of today's show and other episodes and acknowledgements can be found at bobsmarathon.com. That's Bob's Marathon without an apostrophe. Send us a note with your comments. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We wish you and your loved ones good health. <laughs>